0: In today's rocketchip.fm episode, we take another dose of product therapy. This is episode two of a special three-episode series diving into coaching sessions that Silicon Valley product group's Christian Idiotis held over these past few months. We get the very rare opportunity to essentially sit in on some of these coaching sessions. So
1: a big thank you to Christian and his clients for giving us that chance.
0: And the beauty of it is that we also get to learn through it. I mean, the issues and challenges that Christian and his clients dive into, these are issues and challenges that many rising product managers and product leaders also face. So
1: let's dive into today's session another dose
0: of product therapy.
1: Welcome to
0: Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito.
1: Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash fm 24 You'll save a dollar on your next domain.
0: As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore. AI safety and security it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit hackerone.com slash AI-safety-security. Again, hackerone.com slash AI-safety-security.
1: Okay, for today's session, Christian sits down with his client, Rotom. Here's Rotom with the issues he's dealing with today.
2: I'm a, a product leader here at InSound's, and um, I didn't go throughout the original and uh, traditional way that people become product managers or, or product leaders when they start from uh, product managers or product owners, and, and then they they um, become senior product managers and, and lead, and then they become like group managers, and then head of product. So, so this is my first role as as a product uh, per se. And, you know, I I don't have a lot of hands on experience in in being a product manager, although I I've been working with product managers and I I was a program manager um, before this role. And and I really wanted to know, like, what advice can can you give me on uh, being a better product leader and um, developing my skills in, in this world, although I, I don't have a lot of experience in writing PRDs and, and writing like requirements and having hands-on experience with, with uh, software engineers and designers. So Rodem finds himself as a product
0: leader without a whole lot of product management experience. Maybe not the typical path to being a product leader, but let's hear what Christian has to say.
3: Let me start with some encouragement. Um, there are not a lot of people in product management, that started their career as product managers, or actually went to school or learned how to be product management uh, managers. Whether that is in a degree program, uh, the, the recent stats said that indicate kind of close to seventy-five percent of product managers were self-taught in some ways. Um, the best product people I have met in the world have actually learned product management from Greek product leaders. And uh, not from some formal education or training. Now, I want to make sure first we understand what your role is as a product leader and the expectations in that role. And then we can start to have a conversation about where you need to get better. Okay. First of all, uh, as a product leader, uh, your job is one, what we are, I would call strategic context to provide clarity about where you're going and how you plan to get there as a company, right? The way this is reflected is what you might call a product vision and a product strategy, okay? A big passion of your job is to create an environment for your teams to succeed. So that's the cultural aspect of that. So the way you provide context to your team is through a vision, through your strategy, through the team structure, and through clarity with your objectives. Okay? Now, I'm calling out the leadership aspects of context and culture. The other side of your job is really about people. And for me, it's probably the most important aspect of your job. Is to find, hire, recruit talent for your organization. Make sure those people are coached. To make sure they are competent so that they can do the job. And then to their potential. Okay, so this means staffing and coaching are also important in your job. So if I were to list out what the job of a product leader is, context, culture, staffing, coaching, and objectives. That's the job, okay? So now I can see why you could say to yourself, well, let's look at that mix of things. Where could I potentially struggle right? if I haven't been a product manager before? The reality here is providing a clear vision of where you're going and a plan for how you get there based on insights and data does not require you to be a product manager form, right? Right. Also, providing an environment for your team where they can strive, the language, the behaviors, where it's healthy, people can collaborate, they can work well together, where they can focus on the customer and drive results does not require you
2: to be yeah, a product manager of course, manager of course. Uh, this <laughs> is this is something i, I do have like from uh, from past experience as a as a team leader um so so i'm, yes. I'm familiar with these kind of things sure.
3: good so you see i'm helping you get a little comfortable with where you're probably doing well yeah okay so so context and culture they do require innate leadership skills and that you understand your organization and your environment and your business and you can connect the organization with people and evangelize where you're going so there are great skills there now staffing being able to find competent people and skills to uh in the sense now it does require that you understand what good product management looks like right this is one way you know if you're a coach of a team and you don't know what a good soccer player looks like for instance or football player it's very hard for you to say you're building a winning team right so you, you need to know what good looks like now um Uh, the the benefit here is that as a leader, you don't have to do that by yourself in terms of identifying what good looks like. You can, uh, there, there are many things you wish you can understand what that looks like. The big key here and a big portion of your job that is probably the most challenging, at least the one that will probably drive you with imposter syndrome, the one that will drive you with some anxiety of, you know, how well can I do here without the experience is coaching, Right. Can I help somebody get better at a job that I have not done before, right? Will they trust me that I can get them better at this job if they don't think you don't have any experience doing this? How would you know what it feels like? You don't understand what we're going through in that way. So uh, first of all, I'm encouraging you by telling you what you're probably doing a great job as in all of those other areas, right? So I've listed many areas it takes to be a good product leader. And so I'm trying to narrow down the area here that I will challenge you on getting better. Now, to be clear, many product leaders also struggle with coaching. Do not get this wrong.
2: How would you um, uh, advise to get better in, uh, in coaching? Um, yes. That's a that's uh, first question. And, and the second question I have is it's super technical. Like if you would be in an interview with a product manager, or, or um, would you like send a home task for, for a candidate? What, what would it be?
3: Yes, good, good question. So right, let's tackle the, the first one, uh, specific advice with coaching. Okay, so um, I want you to recognize first, you have to recognize that this is your number one job and is the most important job you have. So for instance, doing product management is not your job. Getting people better And product management is your job. Now, a good product manager contributes a deep knowledge of their customer, a deep knowledge of their industry, a deep knowledge of the business, a deep knowledge of the data, and a deep knowledge of their product. Here is the best way I always challenge people to get better at those aspects is to learn with the people that you're teaching. Now, the reason I say this, it's going to build a tremendous amount of trust. Okay. So one way you can do this with the team is you can say, look, we are all, me as the leader and you, we're all going to go attend uh, an inspired workshop, (laughs) a, a product workshop together. Now, what are we doing here? They are learning how to do product management the way the best companies do. But they are watching you learn with them. And so they know that you know what they know. And you also know what they know. This trust dynamic is super important. Because what it does is it creates an environment where you can practice together. You can say, look, this is what we learned in the workshop, how to do discovery, tackle our risk. We're going to practice together as a leader. I'm going to practice with you. I'm going to set time up for us to talk with customers. We're going to do some research together. This period of humility for you only lasts a very short window. And I think it's an important thing as a leader for you to embrace. It's one of the, you know, because it really will accelerate your ability to provide great value to your team. So learn with your team, let them see you learn with them, and let, and, you know, also observe that they are learning too. Okay. And what you're doing as you're starting this is, you are ramping up your product discipline. But remember, your job is not to go do the job.
1: Course, <laughs> your job course.
3: is to get them better at doing the job. Yeah. And you don't get it wrong. The many product leaders that were previously product managers, they struggle because they try to do the job that help people get better at doing the job. So in some ways, you are in a better spot because you're saying, look, my job is not to do those requirements. Actually, we don't want you to do requirements. My job is to create a safe space for you to test and learn, to talk to customers, to learn about the business, to iterate. So uh, um, uh, I do want you to find some a great leader that you can spend time with that can also coach you. And I also want you to learn with your team as a way to accelerate trust.
1: So it's okay if you are find yourself in a product leadership position, even if you've never really had much experience as a product manager. You might be at a bit of a disadvantage, but it doesn't mean that you can't be the product leader that you want to be.
0: Right, but it sure would help if you had a mentor guiding you along the way, right? Let's take a short break here. We're going to be right back with more of this conversation between Christian and Rhoda. Before the break, we met Rodem, a relatively new product leader without ever having a stint as a product manager in his background. We heard Christian's take on that, but then
1: Rodem started asking Christian about how to level up his team. He asked a question about interview questions. What are some of Christian's favorites to ask when he's interviewing product people? Let's actually skip to that part of the conversation.
3: When you're questioning interviewing, kind of like my favorite interview question or how I, I identify... Now, as I mentioned before, I, I, I'm not necessarily looking for pedigree as much. Um, I know many people will hire on potential. Like, you look like a great person. I only hire on potential if I have the commitment and bandwidth and the expertise to coach somebody, right? Because no matter how great somebody is as a previous company, they are not going to be successful at yours day want. They don't know your company. They don't know your people or your environment. So they're not set up for success right away. So they do need some coaching and support in getting them better. So when I'm talking with product managers, I'm typically looking for uh, one kind of uh, how they solve problems. And I'll tell you a question I use there. Kind of like, do they love solving problems? Um, I look for empathy, uh, kind of an affinity towards an understanding of, uh, a situation and understanding the people. I love people that recognize that they achieve more as a team than an individual. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. Uh products is a very much a team sport. Uh, no, you know, I I I have not met any single great magnificent product that has been built, ideated, thought about, designed, delivered, marketed by one person. So so I'm looking for those those skill sets. You know, these are Driven people is very entrepreneurial in that sense, but they recognize the power of team and collaborate very well with people and are very oriented towards outcomes. Now, uh, when I look at problem solving, I typically ask uh, an interesting question, like I give them some. Unique problem or scenario Like I can say Look I have a friend Rotem He's a great friend of mine um, You know But he's uh, He's been deaf His whole life He has a hearing impairment So he can't hear very well Um, But he just landed a new job And he now requires him To wake up A couple of hours earlier Than he normally does And as you can imagine Traditional alarm clocks Don't work In this case here. So he calls me up And says He needs help Waking up On time to go to work Let's say I gave you that problem. How would you go about solving the problem? Now, you see, I'm giving them something that is outside an industry that they may be in, outside my industry, outside, just a generic problem space. And you can find different variants of something like that. you. You want it unique in some ways, right? So that it's not um, uh, something that's you know, somebody can automatically say, oh, I've done this before. You, you want yeah. your mind...
2: And, and you don't yeah. want these questions to be something they have prepared, you know. Yes, you you take this KPIs and you, and you put that exactly. engagement, and, you know. Yeah, of course. And I want to be clear
3: about kind of what I'm looking for. here. you know, engineers. If you give a, a native engineer this kind of question in their sense, they go straight to solving, right? Like, oh, I yeah, will build a, a vibrating clock or something to shock them or stuff. You know, that it's a mindset now. There's nothing uniquely wrong about. It. There's no right or wrong with this question. I kind of want to see your approach. I have met people that will say, "I have no clue what to do." I actually like that. There's some humility in that, and acknowledgement about what you don't know. My next question is: So, what do you do when you don't know? Right? It's kind of like what happens when you don't know. It's like, oh well, I will ask for help. I will talk to somebody. Uh, you know. So you got kind of, to. You have to like. I will interview your friend and find out what he wants i say well, well how do you know sign language how, how are you going to talk to the person you're like oh i never thought about that you know or people that will try to so you, you're just trying to let them you want to see how their mind resonates and I, I want to go down into okay so you've come up with this plan how would you go about executing it are they like the independent i'll do this i'll do this i'll research I'll or are they like you know i will ask for help I will research this. I will talk to you know people that will pull people in. Now, what you did, I want because if you think about the job, they are going to be solving problems every day. Of course. I want to get some insights into how they will approach problems, just their natural approach to solving problems. Do they involve people? Are they I know it all people? Are they trying to prove a point? This will be your reality when you hire them, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's key in how I try to uncover how they approach solving problems.
0: So there may not be those magical interview questions that allow you to see who that perfect product person would be, but it's important to uncover how that product person approaches problems. And maybe even more important, how they solve problems.
1: Rotom next asked Christian if he could elaborate on another thing that's kind of perplexed him as a relatively new product leader, then that's tools. What is the ideal product tech stack? And I don't know, is there even one?
0: Here's Christian on his take on tools.
3: People that have worked with me will always tell you, it, it, it's not that I'm tooling adverse. I, um, it, it does uh, concern me a whole lot when it comes to tooling. I I do meet lots of entry-level product managers and stuff. They ask advice for tools and stuff, and I always push back. And I say, no, you don't need a tool. you know. And they say, why? It's like, well, what are you using the tool to do? I want to organize my goals. I say, write it on a piece of paper. Oh, I need a tool to manage what people, I say, put it on a, write it on a, on a whiteboard. I say, write it. They say, well, but, but how does this scale? How does this grow? I said, how do you know what you need? Yeah, it's the problem for me with tooling. I'll talk about, Gerard, please, I'm not anti-tooling in that sense. Uh, I, I said a little tooling adverse. Uh, typically, what tends to happen is that people um, lose sight of what they are trying to do and focus more on the tool. Because it's like, why is this not clear? Oh, the tool didn't make it easy. The tool is not easy to use. It was too complicated. The report did not look right. Um, it took too long to learn. I don't know how to use a tool. You see, all of this stuff is not the job. It's now the tools problem. You know, that our tool doesn't make it clear what our roadmap should say. I don't like the way it's presented. You didn't put it into the tool. We start to focus on the process of it the compliance of it, the utility of the tool, the engagement of the tool. All of this means that we're not focusing on why we went to the tool in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So (laughs) please don't, yeah. So what I'm challenged, what I typically challenge people to do, I say, do it painfully and manually. It's going to do two things. One, it will actually tell you what you need. You, You know, in some ways in your world, maybe you're thinking about it like requirements for what the tool should be. Because I can many... People buy tools because they have sold a tool. Look at a tool. It will help you organize your life. Who said my life was disorganized, right? But when you start to see something that looks better than what you're doing, you're like, this looks better. But you had a technique, a way of getting things done. And so I tell people, try to get things done without the emphasis of the tool. Use that to understand what your organization or individuals need to succeed. And tooling, of course, could help them to accelerate that value. But if you're not good at telling people what you're doing or how you're doing it, the tool will not solve that problem for you. If you're not good, if you're you're using it for road mapping and being able to say, this is what we're going to do and the outcomes and stuff, a tool is... You're going to scale, too, just scale your bad behaviors in some ways. You know, it's like, why do we need uh, a JIRA? Because we want to communicate to engineers what to do. Well, our stand ups still take 500 hours, but we have a tool, you see, because we haven't gotten better at communication. So it's often like I see companies a lot, our biggest problem is communication, but we spend all of our time in meetings. Why do you have meetings? To improve communication, you see? So, you know, one of them is like a meeting is a tool to improve communication, but it doesn't solve the problem. So there are many tools out there. I I am absolutely agnostic to tools. It's not like I have a favorite or one that I don't. Uh, By principle, I always tell people I want to focus more on what problem we're trying to solve with the tool and try to solve it. Like, you know, if, if the problem is communication, clarity, objectives, management, Try to solve it as painfully and as manually as you can, because that is what you do. You'd be doing discovery on what you actually want in a tool. <laughs> but I mean, so many companies are just like, oh, we need a tool for this. And, a tool. and nobody in the company has ever done that before. And so the tool defines your company than the problem itself.
0: So it's not that the tools are bad, but... They're also not some, you know, panacea. I mean, if you can solve problems that you need to solve manually first, do that. It'll help you understand the problems at the core and then the tools that you might need that will actually help you most, they might actually become apparent to you.
1: Let's pause once more here and we'll be right back.
0: Before the break, we started to hear from Rotom, a newer product leader who really is just finding his footing as a product leader. He's been asking Christian lots of questions throughout the entire conversation, but we're going to skip to a part of the conversation where Rotom asked Christian about something very timely. The remote
1: work lifestyle is a lifestyle that's very popular in today's tech world, especially ever since COVID struck back in 2020 and put everybody back in their homes. That work from home lifestyle, it's stuck for many in tech. Christian, he talks a bit about remote work here.
3: We've been... Fans of co-location. Co-location, I'm not talking we're in the same country or in the same state. I'm talking we're all sitting together around the same table. That close, co-location. And if you think about what it means to solve problems collaboratively, it means, you know, we're kind of working together to solve a problem and we're iterating, brainstorming, sharing ideas. You know, Google did a study to look at what dynamic really drove successful teams. You know, they kind of looked at all of their teams to say what made a successful team? Because they have smart people on it, brilliant mind. What's the key, the DNA? And the most important, single most important dynamic was this concept of psychological safety. That people were not afraid to speak up or share ideas, that there was a heightened level of trust that people could go to conflict and get to commitment. At the core of Empowered Teams is this idea of trust. And trust is predicated on competence and character. And there are many other factors like concern and care and communication. But those are core that I know Rotem can do the job. I know what his strengths are. I know his value to my team, right? And I trust that he's a great person and has good intent. Now, how do I know that? If I have never met you before, seen you in person or know anything about you, it's going to take a little longer for me to figure that out. The most successful companies today that I have seen that are working remotely effectively have a, built a great bank or reserve of trust. You see, teams that are thriving, they were all working close together, they were all very good friends, and now they are remote, they are still doing well. Or the companies that are very deliberate about trying to recreate trust prior to doing work. I was like on a call with the whole team of people and... You know, everybody was telling a joke and laughing, and this lady had just started in the company uh, like a week. She had never met anybody in in person before, been to the office, you know, just hired during COVID, so nobody knew. And she was thinking the joke was about her. It's like, what's funny? It was like, oh, it's an inside joke from the office, and nobody thought like, well, she might feel excluded. She might not know. And now she's starting with a little mistrust. Like, are they making fun of me? Is this about... You see? And this comes into the work environment. Like, I'm not going to speak up anymore. I said something and they all laughed. But it was an inside joke from the times in the office. So what I tell teams here is, if you recognize that the best work in your teams come when there's a great deal of psychological safety, a heightened amount of dependency... Uh, an amount of trust that allows people to see the impact of their work and the meaning in their work and that uh, people know each other and their strengths and you can recreate that remotely. And by recreating that, it's not like a one-time thing of like, yeah, we're going to have virtual coffee to welcome you and that's it. It's a continuous thing of creating space and time because these are the dynamics that happen when we're co-located, Right? You know, one of the interesting things I saw is um, when you go into a meeting and somebody says, oh, Rotem, how was your weekend? How was your family? How are things? The, The argument here is that there is not enough trust, foundational trust, to have the meeting without us having that little back and forth conversation. That conversation makes you feel like I'm your friend. I care about you. So I'm building a trust of care so that we can have the meeting. But the argument is that in the highest performing teams, they don't do that. Because it's like, bro, then we hung out last week. You're like the friend of my family. We are always, I don't come into a meeting and say, how was your weekend? You're like, hey, we were just having beers this weekend. No need to ask me that. We talked all the You know exactly
2: time. where I was this weekend.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so definitely. it's almost an interesting mindset that you see that the more we try to build that rapport to start off a meeting, it's almost an indication that we don't even have enough trust. So the, if you, you know, we, the, the reason we subscribe to co-location is because it excel it accelerates what the, the core foundation you need to go do good work. It provides clarity. I know you, you know me, we hang out, we talk through things, we have a watercolor conversation. I don't have to call a meeting to ask you a question or to share an idea, we can go back and forth. So it accelerates that. If you recognize the value of it and you're very deliberate in recreating that in today's day and time. I think you could be successful.
0: Lots of interesting pieces of this conversation. There was more to it, but this is all we were going to be able to fit into today's episode. But we do have one more dose of product therapy coming right up. One more episode. So you're going to want to tune in for that final episode. Maybe it was right what the doctor ordered.
1: (laughs) Okay. You've been waiting to fit that pun in, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yes, one more episode of Product Therapy coming up in this special three-part series here on Rocketship.fm. For Mike Belsito and Christian Idioti, I'm Michael Saka, and this is Rocketship.fm. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It is your support that keeps the show going. If you can, take a second and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps out the show so much. We're also part of the Podglomerate Network, and if you'd like to listen to more great shows from the Podglomerate, go to thepodglomerate.com to see the full show listings. This episode was mixed and mastered by Court Deans.
0: Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. Go to productcollective.com and get access to our weekly newsletter, live video interviews, Slack community, product job board, and a whole lot more. Again, just go to productcollective.com.